Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 36, verses 1 through 7. So Bezalel, Aholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Amen. Well, good morning, Redeemer Church. Uh, my name is Daryl Watley, and I am a longtime friend with Michael Keller. Uh, we actually were in RUF together. Uh, he was up here in New York, and I've been down at Delaware State University for the past seven years. And uh, it's been a wonderful and glorious seven years. I was just talking to somebody else who was interested in doing RUF. If you don't know what RUF is, RUF is the uh, campus ministry for our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. We're on over 150 campuses all around the world, and uh, God has been moving in great ways, particularly at historically black colleges. Uh, We now have six uh, ministries at historically black colleges um, in this nation, and we just recently started a ministry in Senegal as well. So God is moving in great and big ways. Um, My school, Delaware State University, recently became uh, the first school in the country, the first historically black a school in the country and probably even the world to actually purchase another school. So God is doing great work at DSU. Um, Just a little bit about Dover. Um, Dover is probably the flattest place in the world. Um, There's no skyscrapers. There's no hills. Um, But we do have three things going for us. Uh, We've got no sales tax. We've got really nice beaches. And we actually have a mayor. So we're doing pretty good in Dover right now. Um, but I would love uh, for you guys to get involved with the RUF that's up here in Columbia with Way and Eric and uh, in this area. RUF is a great way for your students and your young people to come to know Jesus and know Jesus more. Um, I also have two kids and a lovely wife. Uh, They're going to be here. Maybe I can't find them, uh, but hopefully they're not lost in New York somewhere as they're trying to get here this morning. So our theme today is going to be God's love, how it frees us, 
to unity and generosity. How God's love frees us to unity and generosity. Michael has been preaching on the Ten Commandments. Um, You know, it's bad preacher etiquette to uh, take somebody else's sermon series. But I want you to think about this passage that we're reading today as kind of a companion to that series. You know, we talk about what to do and what to not do in the Ten Commandments, but why? What does that lead us to? Why should we not do these things? Why should we do these things? We are doing, we are, we want to follow God's word because it's not only God's word and God's command to us, not only because he is God, but because it's simply good for us. It's good for us. It's, it's God's way of blessing us and, and leading us down paths of righteousness. Exodus 33, 36 demonstrates what God's people are capable of when the Lord changes their hearts and causes people to love his word. Exodus 36 demonstrates this in a very unique and powerful way. Exodus 36 takes us from the idolatry of the golden calf a few chapters before and redeems that. He takes this broken, idolatrous people and says, this is what you can be if you would follow me. But it also gives us a a glimpse of what restored humanity can be. It gives us this perfect picture of what the church should be, what a redeemed people can be when we are unified and free to love one another in generosity by the power of Christ. As we celebrate July 4th, this is a wonderful text to lead us and teach us how we can truly become one nation under God. How can we begin to restore the ills in our culture, in our society? We have to be a people on this July 4th who see a revival in the faith in practice of God's word. One of the biggest hurdles we face as humans is simply having limited resources. We deal with this as individuals. We deal with this as businesses. We deal with this as governments. We deal with this as churches. And throughout the history of the church, we have dealt with this in a myriad of different ways. But one way I want to bring this to your attention this morning is how the church dealt with this before the Reformation. You may not realize this, but the Reformation was started in large part because of a desire to see St. Peter's Basilica restored in Rome. Now, there's a lot of ways to go about restoring a wonderful and historic building, but the church chose to actually sell indulgences. Indulgences were basically the selling of repentance. You give me money and I will forgive your sins. Some of these indulgences were said to forgive sins for 20,000 years, 10,000 years. It was that absurd. But they used the proceeds of this money to rebuild this basilica, which we now recognize as one of the most fantastic pieces of art in the world, But what actually happened from this is that instead of building God's church and building unity amongst God's people, it actually 
tore us apart. Instead of being united in this project, the church became forever torn asunder. How are we to worship God in a way that brings us together? Our text today tells us of the building of God's tabernacle after they left uh, Egypt in the Exodus narrative, that now that they've been uh, in the wilderness, now that they've left Pharaoh and defeated Pharaoh's army, they've been called to build the tabernacle so that they can do what God has called them to do and go to worship him in the desert. This is what they've been called to do, and God has given them miraculous means on how to do that. What we see is that what we worship is what we long for. Just as the St. Peter's Basilica became a symbol of covetousness and thievery, this tabernacle is now going to become a symbol of God's presence in this world. Jesus tells us that where our heart is, there, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. He goes on to say that whoever sins is a slave to sin. The things we desire, the things we want, will tell us what we really believe in. What we need to know today is that God has unlimited resources. We don't need to be burdened by the things that we need, the things that we want, the things that we desire. We don't need to be held in bondage by things because God is not bound by them. The truth is, is that if we trust in Christ, that he will provide, that Christ will bring us closer to one another and free us from our bondage to earthly things. So how does God set us free to serve him? The first thing we see is that we are freed to serve by God's spirit. Now, I want to take you back before the, the first couple of uh, verses of our text today, and I want to focus on one line in verse 30 in chapter 35. Verse 30 says this, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. We look at this amazing work that the Israelites are about to partake, and they're not doing it in their own strength. They're not doing it in their own wisdom. They're not doing it in their own knowledge. God has specially called individuals in Israel to, to take on this work and to do it to God's standards. To do it in a, in a wonderful way, in a beautiful way, in a way that no one's ever seen before. God has called these men and empowered these people to serve him, and he has given them everything they need to do it. It says that, they, that God has given them skill. God is, in their life, God has given them all of the opportunities, all of the apprenticeships, all of those man hours that they took 
to learn these skills that God has given them, God has provided them with these things. God has given them intelligence. God has given them intelligence to take on these things, to plan and, and design and architect all of these things that God has called them to do. It comes from God. It does not come from that individual. It says that God has given them knowledge. Think of all the people that went before them, that passed down that knowledge to them to complete this task. God has given them that as well. And it says that God has also given them talent. It's not enough just to have skill. It's not enough just to have intelligence. God also has to give you talent, and that is something that only comes from God. It comes from God. As we look at this world that we have with limited resources, and we, one of the biggest things that we, we encounter in our lives is this, you go to work. And every day you say to yourself, I wish I would be so much better at my job if I had this. I would be so much better at my family life if I had this. Only if I had this, then I could actually do. Then I could actually fulfill my potential. Then I could actually do what God has called me to do. Every once in a while, God gives us everything we need. Have you ever been in that place in your life where you finally sat down and said, I can finally do what God has called me to do? As I thought about this point, this, this you know, kind of mythical point in our lives that we all want to get to, I thought about the Apollo space program. And if you can remember uh, the, the very memorable speech that JFK gave, that, that gave that propelled us to the moon, and basically what he was doing in that speech was that he was giving NASA a blank check. He said, we're going to do this, and we're going to do it no matter what it costs. So let me give you a few statistics about the Apollo space program. In 1960s money, that program would have cost $30 billion. $30 billion is a lot of money today. Adjusted for inflation, the Apollo space program would cost $300 billion. Wrap your head around that. $300 billion to take three guys to the moon. $300 billion. What that, those funds did was unleash some of the greatest minds in the world. It unhindered them. It took them out of the bondage of, we got this budget and this budget and this budget and this budget. And they just said, whatever it takes, just go do it. Isn't that what we all kind of yearn for in our life? For somebody just to come to us and say, man, just go do it. I don't care what it takes. This is what God was doing for Basilel and Aholiab and all of the people who would build the tabernacle. He was saying, look, money is no object. I want this tabernacle built. I want worship in this tabernacle. And you are going to have everything you need possible to get this done. Unfortunately for the Apollo space program, the money eventually did run out. Come the 1970s, the budget was slashed. And to this day, no American man has been on the moon. And we've got no hope 
uh, anytime soon in the next 20, 30 years of going anywhere else. With God, that never happens. It never happens. If the worship of God is the top priority in heaven, and God will do whatever it takes for his name and his glory to be proclaimed in this world and everywhere else in creation. God has given LSQ people with calling and with gifts. You know, the verse says that not only did Aholiab and Bezalel have these gifts, but it also said that they were called to do that. They were called to make these curtains. They were called to make this tent. They were called to make all of these things that were going to the tabernacle. They were called to do that. What calling has God given you? What way has God given you to serve the city of New York, to serve your neighbors, to serve the downcast, to serve those in bondage, to serve those who are hurting even right here in this congregation? What calling, what gift has God given you? If you believe in Christ, God has given you gifts. We want you to use them. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. The next thing we see is that not only is God freeing us by the, by the Spirit to serve, God is also freeing us to build His kingdom. He's not freeing us just to go out there and do whatever we want to do. He's not going out there for you just to, you know, you know, love, peace, and happiness. He's not, that's not the, the calling he's calling you to do. God is calling you to build a kingdom. When we look at this text in verses 1 through 4, it's very specific what God is calling them to do and who is being called to do it. The text begins, it says, Basilel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. He says everyone who can work, everyone who has any skill that relates to this task, anyone who can lift this, anyone who can stitch that, anyone who can do anything, who can mold this gold, who can mold this silver, if you can do it, I want you here. I want you here. I don't care if you're young. I don't care if you're old. I don't care if you're not as good as the next guy. I don't care if you can do this thing. And you can even imagine even the, the females and the, the women 
and the children were there serving the Lord in this capacity. God was calling them to serve him and God had given them everything they needed and no one was excluded from that. Furthermore, we see that they were not forced. This worship, this service, it came from the heart. He says, everyone in whom which the Lord has stirred up their heart can come. If you want to see God glorified, we want you here. If you want to see God worshiped in New York, we want you here. If you want to see the name of Jesus praised and worshiped by everyone, by people who don't know them, whether they're from, you know, the Middle East, whether they're from South America, whether they're from Asia, wherever they're from, we want you here. Everyone in which the Lord has stirred up their heart. The next thing we see is that Moses is extremely trustworthy with the proceeds. In our day, what we see so often is churches mishandling God's money. So what does that cause? That cause, causes a mistrust in people as they give. I don't know what they're going to do with that. I don't know what's going to happen there. And it gets in the way of God's worship. But we see here that Moses is a trustworthy man. That Moses collects these offerings and does what God has called him to do. Are you being good stewards of what God is giving you? Are you being honorable with what God is giving you? No one here is worried about what Moses is going to do because they know that Moses is on a one-track mind to serve the Lord. The next thing we see is that these are free will offerings. These are not ties. These are not something that they're required to do. We even see that not everyone does it, but we see that for the most part, there are most people in this nation are falling over backwards to give these offerings. Moreover, we see that they were so enthusiastic to give these offerings that they literally stopped whatever it was that they were doing. If they were working on their own tent, they stopped working on that. If they were working in the military, they stopped working on that. It says that they stopped working to give and to contribute to the work of building God's tabernacle. What are you too distracted to serve God for? It reminds me of the story of Mary and Martha where she's too distracted to go and serve Jesus. It reminds me of when Jesus says, you need to leave your father, your mother, your brother, and come serve me. And the young man says, wait, let me go back and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the bad dead bury the dead. What are you too distracted to do to come and serve the Lord? It reminds me of Abraham when God calls Abraham out of Ur. Ur was not a bad place. Babylon was the seed of civilization. It was literally the greatest place to live on the face of the earth at that time. And God calls him out of Babylon 
to come and start a holy nation. Now, I told you a lot about myself as I came up here earlier. But one thing I didn't tell you was that even though I, I say y'all and I sound kind of country, that I really have really deep roots in New York. My great-grandfather came to New York City, and as I crossed over the Lincoln Tunnel, I have a record of where my grandmother and my, grand, my great-grandmother and great-grandfather, where they got married, they got married when they were living on 40th Street in New York City in 1908. And there was no Lincoln Tunnel back then. If you wanted to cross that part of the Hudson, you had to swim it or take the ferry. But my great-grandfather left St. Kitts not because it was a horrible place. Actually, during that time, St. Kitts was the per capita the number one producing commonwealth in the British Empire. It was banging. They had sugar falling out of their ears. It was so much sugar down there. But he left everything that he knew. And he came to New York because he was not satisfied with just surviving. He wasn't satisfied with just doing okay. He wanted to thrive. And he knew that if he came to New York, that there was no other place on the planet that he could thrive like in New York. By the time my grandfather died, and my great-grandfather died in 1965, he owned and rented nearly a dozen brownstones in Queens and Brooklyn. He came here. He left something that was cool. He left something that was good to go. He left his family for a bigger vision of what God had for him. This is what God is calling his people to do right here. You were doing okay in Egypt. Like they said, we had meat in Egypt. But what I want you to do now, people of God, I want you to get out of Egypt and I want you to worship me for real, for real, for real. I don't want you just having a semblance of worship. I want you to know the fullness of worship and I am going to give you everything you need to accomplish that and experience that. These people who are building this tabernacle have gone from making bricks without straw in Egypt to making God's temple on earth with an unlimited budget. You have to believe that this is what God has called you for. You can't have a vision that's too small for when it comes to God. You can't have a vision that's too small for when it comes to Redeemer at Lincoln Square. You can't have a vision that's too small when it comes to evangelizing the floor in your high rise. You can't have a vision that's too small when it comes to reaching your coworkers and your friends and your family for Jesus. God is doing great and wonderful things through his people. Whose temple are you building? Are you stuck building your own little rinky-dink temple? Or are you willing to step up and follow Jesus in faith and build a temple that's greater and more amazing 
that you can ever imagine. God has called you and empowered you to build his kingdom right here in New York as a member of this congregation. Do you believe that? The Israelites were building a kingdom. But it was not the kingdom that was to be worshipped. It was God to be worshipped. What kingdom are you building? We've seen that God has called us to build a kingdom. We've seen that God has called us to to free us, to serve him. The next thing we see in verses 5 through 7 is that we have been freed to generosity and to joy. What we see here, to me, what, I've never seen this before in my life, but if I saw it, I would know that it was proof that the Holy Spirit was working in that place. The people wanted to see God's tabernacle, tab, tabernacle built so bad that they started giving too much. In fact, they gave so much they no longer had anywhere to put it. And Moses has to step back and say, look, he has to make a proclamation to the whole nation of Israel, stop giving. Think about that for a second. I want you to imagine that this is not what he's doing. Your pastor saying, look, we're doing too good. We've got too much money. Don't give for the next year. Just stop. We got enough. We're good. Hold on to it. Give it to some other cause. Give it to the Red Cross or some scholarship fund or something like that. But don't bring it to church. We don't want it. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. It almost seems unreal. But this is what Scripture is telling us right here. Now, why could they give so much? First of all, these people had a unique understanding that this was not their stuff anyway. They had just got all of these belongings from the Egyptians that they plundered as they left Egypt. They took everything. The Egyptians literally paid them to leave Egypt. They said, look, we will give you anything you want. Just get out of here because we cannot take your plagues anymore. They knew this wasn't theirs. They knew that it came from God. Have you ever driven somebody else's car and was like, well, it's not my car, like a rental car or something like that? It's not my car, so I'm going to do whatever I want with it, right? It wasn't theirs. They knew it wasn't theirs. They were just grateful to have anything. The second reason that they could give so much is because they had seen the consequences of the idolatry of the people who had worshipped the golden calf. You know, we preach on the Ten Commandments, but we often don't preach the fact that when Moses comes down after giving the Ten Commandments, they're worshipping the golden calf and he has to kill like ten or 15,000 people. He has to kill ten or 15,000 people who are committing idolatry right in the face of God. They can see God on top of the mountain. They know he's there, and they don't care. They know the power of God. They know that God demands for him to be worshipped the way 
he wants to be worshipped. And that has become embedded in their heart. You know, there's some of my favorite passages in the New Testament are when Jesus does a miracle on somebody and he tells that person, don't, don't tell anybody. And then that person goes and tells literally everybody that they see. They literally don't do anything Jesus just told them to do. That is what we're being called to. We're being called to be so in love, so enamored, so enthusiastic about God that we literally can't help but tell people about it. That we literally have to be told, hey, look, relax. You know, as a campus pastor, every once in a while you'll come across a student and that student will love Jesus so much that they will do so much involved with your ministry that it will end up hurting their grades. And when you say, hey, how did your grades turn out this semester? They would say, oh, not too good, pastor. And you will have to say, look, I need you to not come to Bible study this week. Just come to large group because I need you to graduate from college. That's how it needs to be. Has, any, has, has anyone in here ever been sat down by their pastor and say, look, you're overworking yourself, you need to calm down? That's the kind of enthusiasm, love, that God is calling us to. Almost so much to where it's out of control. As they were building this tabernacle, they weren't just surviving. They weren't just eking their way through the next phase of the plan. They weren't sending out emails every week talking about how they were running a deficit. They were thriving. God deserves to be worshipped in an extravagant manner. He deserves our best because Jesus gave this all for us. On the cross, Jesus laid it all down to save us from our sin. He held nothing back. And we are called to hold nothing back from others. As God loves a cheerful giver, Jesus is the most cheerful. Jesus cheerfully gave his life willfully gave his life so that we would not have to suffer the pain of sin and death. The last thing we see is this. Not only are we free to generosity, not only are we free to build God's kingdom, not only are we free to serve the Lord with all that we have, we are free to be unified and to worship together as one family under God. The rest of this chapter, I, this is my homework to you. I'm a college pastor, okay, so I give homework sometime, all right? I almost begged Michael Keller to let me sit up here and read the rest of this chapter because it is one of the most beautiful, descriptive chapters in Scripture. It gives you a line 
byline breakdown of what this tabernacle looks like, of the love and the care and the craftsmanship that went into it, the wonderful and beautiful materials. I know some of y'all like watching HGTV in here. We got some HGT lovers in here. Y'all like seeing them talk about the marble and the accents and all of the hardware and all of these special types of wood. If you love this, you would eat the rest of this chapter up. But it starts in verse 8, and he says that, and they began to build the curtains. He says, and all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains. They were made of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns with cherubim skillfully worked. You want to talk about curtains? These were the most beautiful curtains you've ever seen in your life. They were fit for a king because God was their king. And they were unified. They were working together. They had one plan, one goal, the worship of God. And they were one people. God had taken this ragtime tag bunch of slaves and given them a purpose. The same thing happens in Acts chapter 4. It says that all of the disciples were of one mind and they shared all things. These two, these two chapters, these two passages, mimic each other so greatly. As the church becomes one people in the book of Acts, so the Old Testament church becomes a people in the building of this tabernacle under God's law. Is your view of freedom on this July 4th too small? Is your view of freedom, I know y'all don't have balconies and decks and stuff like that to barbecue, but is your view of freedom, you know, just being able to do whatever you want, spend your money the way you want to spend it? Or does your view of freedom include your God's call on your life to worship him? with all that you have. If your view of freedom does not have that at its core, does not have that at its center, your view of freedom is far too small. Has Jesus set you free? Has Jesus set you free from your seemingly limited resources? Has Jesus set you free from your slavery and bondage to the things of this world? Has Jesus set you free from your own heart that would keep you from him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that if we believe in you, that if we have trusted in you, that you have indeed set us free. 
You've set us free to love one another. You've set us free to serve you. You've set us free to build a glorious and wonderful kingdom wherever we are. And Father, I pray that we would use this freedom, that we would not take this freedom for granted, and that we would love you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. And in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.